We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here with Jason Pat. Jason, we got some news. The Bulls have extended Jim Boylan's contract. Oh, thank God. You know, you know, all the people out there who listen to our fine podcast, Cash Considerations, we just love Jim Boylan. Big fans of Jim Boylan. We've been talking him up all all year. Oh, of course, that's actually not true at all. Uh, we kind of, we did kind of know this was coming. Paxson telegraphed it uh, at his end of season press conference, uh, and then it was reported, I think, by Cowley, by Casey, that they were that was. I think Cowley first reported like a three year deal. I think that's what it is. Uh, I don't think Woj actually reported it when he first did like the official announcement. I don't think the Bulls actually announced it either. But I think I saw a three year deal. Cowley said basically tearing up the the, new, the old contract he had. So basically, starting next season, three year deal. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we, we saw it coming. We've obviously trashed Boylan a lot on this podcast. I don't really, I guess they, they, they obviously love him. They talk about what a great teacher he is, that they love his vision for the team. He does great exit interviews and, uh, they think he's the guy to lead them forward with this rebuild. I mean, I guess if you're, if you, if you're what the, the whole like lame duck thing, you didn't want him to be a lame duck. I guess you can, you can go with that, but in general, I mean, I feel like I don't really understand why they're doing this. Not doing a coaching search once again. They haven't done a coaching search since Tom Tom Thibodeau. Uh, obviously, we, yeah, not not a fan of it. Ricky and Mister Mister Jim Boylan, fan himself. I'm assuming you feel the same way. First of all, I'm a little offended that no one took me up on my challenge where Jim Boylan <laughs> and I have a push up contest, and if I win, he loses his job. So that's garbage. Uh, <clears throat> but Jason, before we get too into this, we have a special guest. We do. The, the godfather of cynics of Bulls fans on the internet. That's Matt from Bloggable. Matt, how you doing? Hey, guys. Long I have time. A, I have a question to start off, and it's what the hell? <laughs> well, first off, I just want to say I'm, I'm very pleased to be a guest on what is easily one of the top 14 Bulls podcasts. <laughs> That have launched this season. Uh, perfect timing too. Great like season, right, when, yeah. right when things are going great. Uh, really exciting stuff to talk about. But yeah, no. Uh, the fri- So the Boiler Extension, I think it says it all that they released this on a, what, two o'clock on yeah. a Friday afternoon. It was dumb. During Cubs Cardinals. Like truly no one cared. No one cared about the Bulls basically from when after they lost by 56 points to the Celtics, they had the mutiny. That was, that was big news. And then it kind of went away and then they had this big February, but like no one like relatively cared, like hardcore people like us who are, you know, sad and need to watch all these games. Like we, we cared, but most people, and then the league itself, cause it's post trade deadline teams are kind of like not taking the Bulls seriously and rightfully so they didn't really care. The team did a little better and then it became like, oh, well, maybe bullying isn't terrible. And then it went back to terrible. And then they didn't write the follow-up story saying, like, actually, Boylan is terrible. It just, like, went back to, you know, maybe Boylan's okay. Let's give him a chance. And then they kind of just, like, sweep this extension under the rug. They don't do any kind of, like, press conference with him, like, publicizing it. Their tweet announcing it got ratioed. It was so poorly received. (laughs) Everyone hates it. They don't care. They care enough to kind of bury it, but they don't care enough to actually like not do it. 
Yeah, uh, I, I know you've written a, you've written a lot of words on uh, this boil and how much boiling sucks. I don't know. And I know the whole. I feel like that whole like, uh, like I don't know. I don't want to say like rebuilding like f- after the after the whole mutiny and after they were terrible. Like he had the whole he had the interview with the two part interview with Darnell, which like I thought it was pretty interesting. Like it was at least good to see like inside his like philosophy and stuff. And then there was all the, the Zach Levine, the pay is fine thing. Like literally every story, and I and I'm guilty of it myself. Like when I've written boiling stories, like I bring up the Zach Levine fine thing like that he offered to pay us fine but like literally like every time you see you read like a boiling story about that's like that's the, what they go to like his relationship with the players has gotten so much better because zach levine offered to pay boiling's fine when he got ejected or whatever just like yeah i think it was probably the worst of the year and that's even i think worse than uh lowry hurting his elbow and being out six weeks i think the story about levine saying he was going to pay boiling's fine even though everyone knew he couldn't like technically do that it was probably just like an off-the-cuff reaction to say, you know, it's good. Oh, it's good. This guy was has our back or whatever. And I think, um, actually, it was. I think it was Cowley who had like the the good point about this and saying like Levine himself has. It's in his best interest to kind of because he was the one who was anti most anti-boiling likely, yeah. and even publicly was in the saying after games like, well, we kind of know what changed and we're still getting our ass kicked by teams like the Hawks and stuff. And, but Levine doesn't want to be known as like a coach killer. He hasn't had a lot of success in this league. So it was in his best interest to like kind of give Boylan a chance. And then all of a sudden, like the media ran with this, like, well, he's all these guys have Boylan's back. And I think like right when we see this after this training cap, which I'm sure will be a nightmare. And then the first time there'll be some adversity, it's going to go right back to like what's going on here. Yeah, what I don't understand with this is just, like, for a rebuild that's been branded is just, like, building from the ground up and sort of developing the few promising young guys they have in the organization for, you know, the betterment of the team long term. Where are they going with Boylan as the head coach ultimately? Like, what do you think is going through John Paxson's mind when he hands out this extension? Is it legitimately just, I read somewhere that lame duck coaches are bad? Or do you think that they actually see something in this dumbass meatball of a head coach that they think can can help move the franchise forward? Uh, yeah, so first of all, it's tough to get in John Paxson's head. I don't think there's like a lot going on there. I think he kind of just inherited this job as a gift and has had it for 16 years and hasn't really much to show for it except some good draft picks in the top 10, and he deserves credit for that. But again... 16 years now, you have to show a little bit more than that if you want to be like a top executive. But definitely there's a meatball element. So he he believes in this. Uh, I think John Paxson believes that he was like a major part of the Bulls dynasty that like rivals Michael Jordan's contributions. Like he thinks like, oh, well, we had Michael, but we also had the rest of the guys who were all together in the offseason. And we really built made this team a title team. And it's like, no, you need talent. And that's the most important thing. And I think he... He doesn't think that. He thinks it's more about this, like, grit and getting everyone in the building and having everyone, like, coalescing over the summer and being better than the sum of their parts, which is all fine and good, except you need the talent to start with. So that's first of all. And then I also think he just, like you mentioned at the top, um, Boylan and Paxton are kind of, like, in sync in that their philosophy. So Paxton has, like, a guy to kind of, steer even more so than Hoiberg and we thought when Hoiberg came in he would be kind of steered by the front office but he proved to have you know his own ideas about what he wanted and when that became incongruent with the front office he got kicked out so he thinks well this guy this guy I will be able to like work with and actually like tell how to coach me and Doug Collins will like teach Boylan how to how to keep things going but I in terms of where they're going it's tough because on the one hand he's saying we need this teacher we need this guy who can reach these young people but he, he also are, is trying to like jump ahead in the rebuild and saying like, this is the season we're going to like be in the hunt for the playoffs. And he was actually saying that kind of la- He didn't really say it last season because he didn't want to actually set himself up for failure. But I think going into last season, they thought they were going to be pretty good. They thought they were going to be a playoff contender. They definitely thought they were going to hit the over of Vegas wins, which started at 27, then went up to 30. They thought they were better than that. So to me, it's weird that they have this team plus Otto Porter, who's who's like a veteran player, who's like a stabilizing force, that they want to get to like this 40, 45 win mark, but then they're hiring the guy who's like the tear it all down, 
build it up with habits and teaching and all that. And it doesn't really make sense of like what they're trying to do. Like if they were in year one of the rebuild and still selling guys off and getting assets, like then maybe you want the teacher of Boylan. If that's you even believe that Boylan is this good teacher, I'm not even going to give them that. But assuming they think that about him, well, why apply it to this team that's ready to take that next step that needs like an actual more of a tactician, more someone who can apply a system to get these guys playing better than the sum of their parts to kind of make it a desirable destination for free agents. Instead, they got the guy who's like free agents don't want to play for him. And he's just going to like burn it all down and crawl before they walk and all this stuff. I really don't understand like what their, what their goals even are. And going into last season, they didn't even state their goals. They just kind of said, well, we want to develop. They failed at that. They failed at winning. And now they're going to go back into this season saying they want to make the playoffs. But I wouldn't be surprised that when training camp starts, that they walk even that back as to not set themselves up for actual expectations and just go back to this nebulous, like, we want Boylan to develop. Yeah, to that point, one thing that drives me absolutely insane about the last at least five years of Bulls basketball is it seems like at the end of every offseason, it's the exact same excuses. I swear to God, there was a time where they were like, well, you know, this season was for evaluating our young players and we just didn't get a really good read on Jerry and Grant yet. We're just going to need another year of Denzel Valentine because we didn't get a chance to really evaluate him yet. It's the same excuses every year, Matt. And you wonder why this organization uh, continues to trend down towards the bottom of not only the Chicago sports hierarchy, but one that's really become the laughing stock of the whole NBA. I'm starting to wonder, you've covered this team uh, writing for what almost 15 years now do you think this is the low point uh over that i think this will be year this will be year wow. 17 <laughs> of, of bloggable that starts uh next year and um yeah i think definitely the ex- the excuses about injuries it, it's a couple things one he said like paxton will say like well we couldn't we couldn't help these injuries you can't really expect it and, and in some cases it's true Lowry Markkinen, although he's proven to be like a little injury prone, like that was a kind of a freak injury. But then Denzel Valentine, he drafted him knowing he was injury prone. He's had like an ankle surgery every season, it seems like. So that wasn't like that crazy that he had an ankle issue and was out. And even when he played, he's not that good. Chandler Hutchison, not that good. So who cares if he's out? It shouldn't be the case where if you have some injuries, you become the worst team in the league or like close to the worst team in the league. You should at least have some depth also that – to where if a guy gets hurt, someone else steps up, you can at least facilitate some kind of evaluation. That's like the big problem with this rebuild so far is that they haven't had time to evaluate their core pieces because they say, well, a guy gets injured or we fire the coach and then the whole season is thrown out the window. We have no evidence. We don't know who can play together. We don't know who's actually good. So it, it becomes this whole, like these wasted years where they just say, well, if we didn't get injured, things would have been different. But they should have set themselves up to not only anticipate some injury, but provide depth to backfill guys. So you're not having like G League castoffs um, playing around Zach Levine and Lowry Market and then saying like, well, we don't know how good they are because they're playing with these other bums. Well, you know, get guys who aren't bums so then we can actually kind of see what these other supposed core players can do. So one thing I'm, you mentioned before about like, and Ricky, you kind of references like a laughing sock and Matt, you'd reference about how like, them as like a destination, like them trying to win and like recruit other players. Like we saw that athletic article about like players don't want to play for Boylan. I know like the sample size is pretty small, but then we also saw stuff like during the season, like the King, the Kings players uh, were basically like clowning the bulls because of like the mutiny thing. And then like D'Angelo Russell, I'm pretty sure was trolling Boylan with like the pushups. Like how much do you think there is to that? Like, do you think like, well, players like obviously to a certain extent, if you offer guys money, they'll come. But like, like how much do you think like that, with Boylan as their guy will like affect other players wanting to come to the Bulls. Yeah, I think it's I think the money would help, but also being a stabilizing team that you know is showing to be going somewhere. And I think like yeah. that's the problem is that Boylan is is not even so much Boylan's attitude or the perception about Boylan as a coach in terms of like handling superstars. They're not going to be good. Like they're not they're like Boylan is not a good coach, so they're not going to be good. And then a team is a player is not going to join the Bulls thinking I'm like the next piece to get them over the hump, let alone like the missing piece to get them, you know, to the top four seeds or whatever. Like they're so far away from that. And I feel like 
you know, it's funny, like the, the idea that's out there of the people who are actually like optimistic about the bulls and in the face of this boiling thing is they say, well, you know, the coach doesn't really matter that much as much as the talent. Well, I mean, part of that is true in that they have to get like top line talent and we'll get to the lottery later, I'm sure. But I think coaching makes a big difference when you're in this range of team where you're like in the 25 to 40 win range. I think coaching makes a big difference. So if Boylan through his ineptitude and poor concepts and inability to motivate has these guys, has this, has the Bulls team more in like the low thirties, like that's a huge problem versus if they got a competent coach who could coach them up to that playoff level to even like, let's say like Steve Clifford, he got the magic up to the 40 win mark. Now that's some, now I don't know if like free agents are going to go to Orlando either, but at least they're kind of like, they look like an actual like solid organization to join. So I think even more so than I don't want to get yelled at and have to do push-ups and suicide sprints. I think they want to look and say, you know, is this team actually going somewhere? Or I know Boylan has this contract, but if he doesn't win, it's still going to look like a coach on his way out. Yeah, I feel like the Nets are also maybe like even maybe an even better example. I feel like a lot of people like really hyping up the Nets. Like, I don't even know if like they're what like what they're going to do moving forward. But I feel like people, the Nets, Atkinson is and like Sean Marks, whatever they've built the culture there, and they've now like people talk about them being like a free agent destination. I feel like that's I guess what you're we're trying to hope for here. And I, yeah, with Boylan there and all the and I guess the, just the team itself. Like, I don't know if they can really pull that off. Like, maybe like I, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm like totally pessimistic. I mean, I'm not a fan of Boylan, but I feel like the players might be okay enough. But I definitely do agree with you. We're, we're like we're, we're near at this range when you're rebuilding team. Coaching is definitely important because like you maybe when the if the Bulls had like a bunch of guaranteed superstars, you wouldn't it wouldn't matter as much. But if you're trying to like build that culture and all that stuff, like that definitely is important. With these young players and like they they talk about how great he is with these young guys and his vision. And I just I guess I just don't really see it in the. And in terms of like, I guess looking ahead of next year as him as well, this I mean, teacher so and like just to, to interrupt about culture, right? I think like the Bulls get the. I mean, first of all, every team, pro college, they talk about culture, how they yeah. want culture in the organization. Yeah. Like the Bulls' culture is it's just total bullshit though. Oh, it's yeah. like it's it's about toughness and like blue collar and like about Boylan. They say stuff about Boylan how like he cares more and he. Oh, it's factor. Like, first of all, that first that you have like no evidence to back that up. Like, for all we know, I mean, from what we heard, like Thibodeau was the guy who was in the office all day to the point where that was a problem. Where it was like, well, he cares too much about this team. And like, what are they saying about Fred Hoiberg when they say like, he was he not like in the office enough? Did he not care? I think all these guys care about playing hard and like winning basketball. Culture is about you know a system of play, like getting you know. Players want to play for coaches who will let them shoot a, you know, shoot a three and not like worry about a paint touch to Robin Lopez. Like that's kind of like the culture they want more so than, well, we're going to be like the best conditioned team. I'm sure. Oh, I bet we're going to hear that this summer. It's like the Bulls are going to be the best conditioned team in the league. It's like, what, what are we even, how is that like a message of what we want the Bulls to be? And it's like just this whole mindset about being like, like a second class organization that relies on grit and toughness and stuff. When you're the Chicago Bulls, you have six titles. You're in the one of the largest markets of the league with the market all to yourselves. You could spend anything you want on coaching, on scouting, on analytics, and you don't. And instead, the what Chicago Bulls means to John Paxson is that what they're they're grittier. Like, what are they even talking about? Like, what? And, and the worst part is, I think they really believe it. I think, I think John Paxson believes it. I don't even think he's like cynical to the level where he's just kind of like trying to put one over on people. I think he believes it. And the crazy thing about this Boylan hire is that we talk about all year making fun of Boylan post game saying spirit pulls across the chest. He learned that from Paxson. When Paxson fired Hoiberg, he said, it's not about our record. It's not about, it's not about the injuries. It's about having our spirit. When we, even when we lose, I want to see that spirit and Boylan who I don't think is like a brilliant guy, but he's smart enough to say, hey, my boss wants to hear spirit. I'm going to say spirit every game, whether we win or lose, lose by 56 goddamn points. We're going to talk about spirit. And it worked. Paxton hired him, kept him, extended him, gave him a raise based on what? That he like just believes what John Paxton's selling about. The Bulls are about 
uh, being tougher and grittier than other teams. Instead of, you know, you're one of 30 teams in the NBA, you actually have a built-in advantage with your market size and, you know, being a glamour franchise, use that as your defining culture. Don't make it about, you know, how we, I don't even know, like just slap the floor on defense and hire uh, old coaches with their sons and tell. So clearly, yeah. Hoiberg was a Gar hire from the very start. I think that at this point, Gar probably has less voice within the organization, I think, than he did, you know, that was five it. years ago or even when the Bulls were building that great team uh, with Thibodeau, with D-Rose, with Joe Kim Noah. Uh, now, Boylan's obviously a Paxson guy, a total reflection of John Paxson. Uh, through and through, as you noted, Matt. I wonder, do you think that Paxson could be reaching the breaking point uh, if this Boylan thing totally goes up in flames, which it's almost certainly going to? We've already seen Paxson get testier with the media. What did he say? His uh, his interviews were an interrogation when he was on the radio, which is total garbage. To me, it seems like he might be starting to crack a little. Is it possible, Matt, that with Boylan getting an extension with Paxson really doubling down on his own guy. We could be setting up for John Paxson to finally, finally fucking quit. Yeah, I think that's the key. He's never definitely not going to get fired. He's going to like quit and there'll be lots of tears shed and it'll be all about how he was a great soldier for the organization for 30 years or however long he's been there. But yeah, I think, I think it's possible because like you said, he, he is like taking the more uh, forward facing like look like they're kind of like putting Gar off to the side because they don't like how Gar is treated in the media and how he handles the media himself. So they're like, okay, we'll have Johnny Jumpshot go out there and kind of like sue the masses. But then he's a testy guy himself, Paxson is, and especially in the face of criticism. Um, so I think it's possible, like that. At least that's one like silver lining is that maybe he's cast his lot so much with Boylan that if Boylan fails, that Paxson will go with him. But I mean, even if you look back at these the interviews he had, which were just incredible, like between him and Michael Reinsdorf, like around the trade deadline and during this whole Boylan fiasco when he was first hired, it was just like, even Paxson wouldn't commit to saying that he's had more than two rebuilds. Like he, he just like, so I wouldn't be surprised if he says, well, Boylan wasn't really a coaching hire. It was an interim coaching hire. And I just kind of cut them on. And so, I mean, it's just like, it seems like a bottomless well of how far these guys can spin to like try to keep their own jobs and try to like tell themselves and tell the fans. I'm not even sure they care about telling the fans, but telling themselves and telling Michael Reinsdorf and then by proxy Jerry to say, you know, we're still, we're still in good shape here. They're still relying on stuff like, Oh, we paid a few million dollars for Luol Deng's draft pick 15 years ago. I mean, they still like rely on this stuff. So, I mean, on the one hand, I want to believe that this is actually like, them committing to some kind of risk. You know, I'll read something like Casey Johnson or, or the headline writer saying like a lot at stake for John Paxson and his hire. And it's like, really? Like what is ever at stake with these guys? And it doesn't seem like anything they can do can actually affect anything. Michael Reisdorf talks about the team's like total trajectory between when Rose got hurt and the Jimmy Butler trade, which was five years, like nothing happened. Or that the team with uh, Heinrich Rose and, or before Rose, but Heinrich Dang and Gordon and all those guys and the disaster of the Ben Wallace signing, that was phrased just like they tripped. And then we won the over, first overall pick. It's like, no, that rebuild kind of failed, and that's how you got the number one pick. There's been tons of failures, and then nothing seems to actually like be a breaking point. Maybe Boylan's it just because how like public Paxson is about it and that it's not Gar saying this stuff. It's, it's John Paxson himself. But I, you know, I still have to like see it to believe it. I, I don't know. It's still tough to like wrap my hand around that. Yeah. To me, to me it's rock bottom. And there's a bunch yeah, of different I, things. I think the point towards that, you could point to the poll today where ESPN writers ranked Chicago 13th out of 14 lottery teams as the best place for Zion Williamson to turn himself into a star because that's the type of reputation the organization in the front office has earned at this point. I mean, when the Knicks are fifth in that, the goddamn Knicks, that just shows how far the Bulls have fallen. Also, the TV ratings were terrible this year. They were still second in attendance league-wide, but that building was rarely full. There's tons of stories of people canceling season tickets. Michael Reinsdorf himself personally pleading with them uh, to reconsider. So I really think that, you know, the, the true silver lining of this might be that uh, we've hit rock bottom and this next season, 
the I think the front office is really going to hype up is like we're making a run towards that eight seed to show you that we're making progress. If that doesn't happen and if this thing goes up in flames again, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Paxton just quits because, you know, you want to talk about toughness and you want to talk about grit. I don't think John Paxton has the toughness in the grit, at least not mentally, to do this job. No, definitely no. In there was a line in the press conference saying that, you know, I was John Paxton was saying I was in these exit interviews with Boylan and he really held those guys accountable and he set high expectations for the players. It's like, where are your uh where's your accountability? Where's your high expectations? It doesn't seem like Paxton has high expectations for his team. He talks about how they need to work harder and you know they're like the they're a hardworking team, but they're not a hardworking front office. That's for sure. They don't have the resources, the scouting, the analytics department. They're not putting everything out there. They're not spending money, and then that's not even salary cap. That's just you know they've acquired five million dollars in trades as the, as the podcast is named. All these cash considerations the past two years, they haven't used that money to gain assets. They haven't facilitated any trades outside of just gaining cash. I mean, what are they doing that's extra effort versus like what they expect out of their players? So, yeah, I mean, the lottery will, I mean, it would be very ballsy if they win this lottery next week. I mean, like it would just bail them out. Like talent trumps everything. Zion Williamson is going to lead the Bulls and it'll look like a whole different squad, kind of like how it happened with Rose in 2007, where, you know, that team failed. The Ben Wallace signing was a disaster. Didn't look like, you know, uh, Tyrus Thomas was any good. It was a, it was a huge problem, but then around Rose, it uh, all started to look a lot better because they had that alpha superstar who everyone could rally around. And I think if they got Zion, I think even, despite that ranking saying that part of the reason was that the front court would be crowded or whatever, I think that would all be sorted out. And I know like Ricky's like extremely high on Zion being able to fit with any team, any franchise. I think that would kind of work itself out. I think Boylan would be a problem, but you know, Rose had Vinny Del Negro, and eventually they, they canned him. So I think, yeah, they could be easily bailed out by Zion next week. But uh, if, if that doesn't happen, like, they're just they're just going to be spinning their wheels. And I think a lot of – I think people are just going to tune out. And we've seen it in the TV ratings, like you said. I really – I don't know outside of anecdotally how the season ticket holders are going. But just general buzz around the team, I could point to the, the bloggable page views. We're down. And I blame John Paxson for it. So he's screwing me over yeah. with our traffic because his team sucks and they're not that interesting <laughs> to talk about. Bad traffic. The comments are down. That not as many people. Yeah, just in general, I feel like you definitely noticed that. And even like, I feel like just during games, like during Twitter, I just feel like people like just weren't even talking about them. It'd go like just long stretches where like pe- my timeline just would have like nothing. And I follow like a decent amount of people, like Bulls fans and stuff. People just like don't talk about them because they just don't care. Like, I feel like there's been so much apathy. Like, I almost felt kind of apathy when I, I think I tweeted this, like when the Boylan, when Woj reported the Boylan extension and just like, it just like beat me down so much. And I like, I knew it was coming where it's like, I didn't even feel anything at all. It's like, I almost like, it's hard for me to like get, bring it to care. It was like, yeah. And I think, and I think they did enough. show there, there is some progress that know. they showed last year. And that I think the auto auto port trade was a good trade. I think they looked a lot better with Porter in the lineup, just like one less hole that they had yeah. to fill. They have a small hole now. That. And I think at least to Boylan's credit, he didn't – he looked like in the first week that he shouldn't even coach like another game, right? They Like they shouldn't like – so he, he improved to at least the point where, okay, he could finish out the season and get fired. Now, he definitely shouldn't have been retained and definitely not extended. But at least he looked like, okay, he can like coach an NBA game on an interim basis. And so they weren't like totally like falling over themselves. But I mean, even that February, it, a lot of it was just, they, they did show an uptick in three point shooting. They had this whole post at bloggable about kind of breaking up the season. And like, even during like the good stretch in February, while they did play with like more of a style, they, their pace was up a little bit, still not good. Still 20th in the league. They, they had um, an increase in three point attempts, but still very low. But it wasn't like league worst. But the big difference is that their three-point shots went in. They were third in the league in February in three-point makes. We know like Lowry had a huge hot streak, and it coincided with a Zach Levine hot streak. Otto Porter shot like crazy when he came over. I mean, that was kind of just like a fluky stretch. I think they looked better, and I think they better in this case means like they'll be like they could be like a 35-win team again if everyone's healthy. And like we know that's probably not going to happen too. And is this are they going to build? around with the bench and stuff to actually 
stabilized to where if they do have a couple more injuries, they don't like fall flat on their face right after they can stay somewhat competent. And then they look like a little better, but even so that's not what I would call like exciting for, 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 you know, people talking about it online or season ticket holders, even no one's paying a ticket to go see Otto Porter to go watch Jim Boylan coach. Like they really think that this team is like on the upswing. It, it basically is going to take like Zion or I guess John Moran has the hype, if not the, if not the actual uh, talent yet to get there. But I mean, it's going to take like something that drastic to get the fan base excited again. And this is why the Bulls deserve Zion and why the Bulls should have been number one in that ranking. Because even in a league that everyone agrees is all about superstar power, I guarantee you if you polled the majority of Bulls fans, at least the Bulls fans that you know that we talk to or we interact with on a daily basis, they would rather have Garpax fired than win the lottery to get Zion. I am like the biggest Zion booster there is. I've been writing about Zion since he was a junior in high school. I would rather have John Paxson fired than for the Bulls to land Zion. I think Stefano, didn't he do that poll? And I think it was like 50-50-ish. So it's like, you're, you're totally yeah. right. And he said the 50 was insane, but I don't know who he meant was insane. Because I, I I, think it would be ideal. Actually, the, the, the funniest result would be if they win the lottery, but Zion refuses to work <laughs> out for the team because he says, he's, I don't want to go there. But I think, I, I mean, I don't think that would happen. But I do know if they win the lottery, first order of business, fire Garpax, fire Boylan. Like, leave it as a good, like, parting gift. You know, leave on a high note. We got, hey, guys, we did this rebuild. We got you Zion Williamson. Even Paxson said at the end of the press conference, well, you know, the silver lining of us being so terrible is that it helped our draft pick more than we thought that we were going to. Because, again, I think it. It needs to be emphasized. Like they thought they were going to be good going into the season. They thought this was going to be okay. We did like one year where we wanted to tank. They couldn't even do that right because not only did Nico win them some games, but then when they tried to tank, they got literally like reprimanded by the league for doing it wrong. So they couldn't even do that. And then they go, okay, well we're not going. To, I don't want to do that again. I'm John Pax and I'm a competitor. But and then they stink again. And then they go, well, you know, silver lining, we might get this traffic. Well, okay. They get the number one pick. They get Zion. Fire Garpax. Let's start over. Leave on a high note. You'll be a hero. You won't like tarnish your legacy anymore. People will always say, listen, these guys, they may have been bad executives, but they got us Derek Rose. They got us Zion Williamson. They really weren't that bad. Bring in some new blood. They can stay on as like, you know, advisors emeritus, which I'm sure they would never actually like fully go away, but because it's the Bulls, but at least like have someone with a fresh set of eyes to take a look at this. Cause I mean, as good as Zion is, it is kind of troubling to think about him coming into this environment. I mean, I'm just surprised they didn't try to actually offer the job to Doug Collins in one way or another. Like, you remember when they tried to hire Collins, I think when they hired Thibodeau? Yeah, so this was I, – I, I was looking this up, like, recently because of the whole idea of a coaching search. And, you know, they didn't do a coaching search for this. And they didn't do a coaching search for Hoiberg. But they did do one for Thibodeau. And while they – did, no, actually, no, it was for Vinny Del Negro. So this was in 2008 when they hired Vinny Del Negro. Before they did that, they wanted Mike D'Antoni as the coach. And then it got very bullsy where they, they kind of offered him the job and he, he sort of said yes, but then he wanted more money and more personnel power. And then it got directly to ownership. And Jerry felt slighted, of course, because he's a weirdo. And then D'Antoni joined the Knicks. And then there was a famous... Uh, at the lottery when the Bulls won the lottery while D'Antoni was like at the Knicks podium. So then they went to Doug Collins. They go, okay, we'll just bring Doug back because, you know, he was the run out of Philadelphia for being backwards, but that doesn't bother us. We're the Chicago Bulls. We'll, we'll hire him. But Jerry put the kibosh on that too by saying, you know, I don't want to have to fire Doug again. It'll make me cry too much and I can't have that happen. <laughs> so then they went to uh, Tom Thibodeau and by all accounts, I mean, weirdly enough, that, was reported to be a Reinsdorf backing thing too that, or no, this is back to, I, I'm conflating my coaching searches. So they got to Vinny Del Negro. That was a disaster. And then to, uh, Reinsdorf kind of led the Thibodeau hire two years later, which I guess to his credit, I don't know how he found them or who like recommended Thibs, but even then it was kind of weirdly bulls where we had different power elements where Thibodeau wanted, uh, or Thibodeau was backed by Reinsdorf supposedly Paxson wanted Lawrence Frank or something, Gar wanted someone else, and then they kind of came to a consensus. But even that was weird. So 
I don't even think if they did a proper coaching search, would it even like go well? I think we saw in um, a lot of teams, but specifically in Minnesota this week, they hired a new president of basketball operations, a couple, a couple other executives. I, I didn't read the piece yet, but there was this piece today in the athletic about how they went about their process of getting new voices in. And like, that's the problem with the bulls. They just don't have any outside voices. And in fact, they look at that term derisively. They don't want outside voices. They think, it's all wrong. What's in their building is what's right. It's all perception. It, what they know is what's best, and no one else can really change their mind. So I'm not even sure if they did a coaching search, would it even be handled well? One thing that I was, was wondering about, Matt, and if you, uh, you know, I think that you probably are more in tune with this than most people, if you want to just explain to our listeners the connection between the Bulls and Mark Bartlestein, because this is something that has continued to run through the organization for over a decade at this point, maybe even longer than that. Uh, it seems like the Bulls are always tied to Mark Bartlestein, Mark Bartlestein clients. How did that start and sort of what are the layers to that? Okay, well, um, first, I do think it's it's kind of on a conspiracy theory level. I don't think it's like totally there where they're like this in bed with one agent. Bartlestein has a lot of clients, so of course he's going to have some with with the Bulls, but he does seem to have a lot of Bulls clients, and this goes back to, to some Dynasty era guys through um, Taj Gibson and then Doug McDermott and Bobby Portis and like a lot of these guys, and then we know Bartlestein and Reinsdorf are close just through being Chicago-based and professional connections. They're him and Michael Reinsdorf are on the Northwestern board for God knows what, whatever incestuous relationship is with that and Chris Collins. There's a whole Northwestern element we have to consider. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it came to a head last draft that both with Michael Porter, because the Barlow team was, uh, he um, represented Michael Porter. And then there was a whole thing about the Bulls had his, uh, medical information other teams didn't and that kind of thing but also of course the promise to Chandler Hutchinson which is like truly bizarre and like I, I again like it's, it's very minor but also kind of important to note that the Bulls had um whatever pick that was in the draft in the, in the team or no those are the 20s right the 22nd yeah. pick and 22 and they didn't they they scouted up to a point and before like most of the pre-draft stuff they're like you know what we're calling it we're taking Chandler Hutchinson as for a supposed secretive organization that easily got out and turned out to be absolutely true. And it's just kind of another like aspect of this team, like not, not trying hard. And they talk about boiling, like the care factor, like where's the care factor in your scouting process to where you're trying to like lock in a guy way before uh, the draft workouts and just say, we want this guy, we want to keep, keep him from working out with other teams because we're going to, which was thought to be an overdraft at his uh, his slot. It's just another example where the Bulls use connections to like get around like effort and um, not even effort, but just like aptitude. Like they'll they'll use it as a shortcut for actually like doing good work. They'll say like, "Well, we know a guy," and it kind of goes to not only Bartlestein, but it goes to all these Iowa State guys and like how they liked Cameron Payne in the draft because you know Cameron Payne worked out with a guy. Uh, and Murray State, who was a big uh, Iowa State coach under Gar Foreman and Tim Floyd. And they just use like their connections to kind of shortcut doing actual work because they really don't have the resources and the staff to do like uh, an independent, like rational search of players. So they just rely on their network of guys that they know. And Bartlestein's a part of that. Oh, what a mess. Uh, <laughs> I, all right, I feel like this is a good time to, uh, we're going to take a quick little break for uh, for our sponsors. Then we'll we'll get into a conversation. The Bulls, one of the big things about the Bulls rebuild is they need a, I think they need a point guard. Uh, and the Bulls' current point guard, Chris Dunn, had a big interview with Darnell Mabry at The Athletic. We will get into that after this quick break. All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire's teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. So go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that are overpriced and overdesigned. So Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. 
So join the 10 million who have tried Harry's and claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just $3. All right, as I mentioned, uh, Chris Dunn, Bulls point guard, uh, road dog, dog in general. And just ask him, he'll tell you he's a dog. Big interview with Darnell Maybe of The Athletic talked about his struggles. Like the headline is Chris Dunn talks struggle, sacrifice, and future with the Bulls. This summer, I'm going to bring it. Uh, and I, I, I feel I, I've, I'm really down on Chris Dunn. Uh, just like his play, some of the stuff he says, I feel like he's kind of delusional about his his talent level. I think that kind of came across in this as well. Just like some of the stuff he was talking about, I feel like he made a lot of excuses for why he's been struggling with them, uh, especially this past season. He talked about how like his sacrifice behind Lowry and Zach Levine, and like the multiple ball handler system. He talked. He had some really weird stuff about how when Fred Hoiberg was coach coming into this year, like he said that he because he was like one of the main ball handlers and they weren't doing the multiple ball handler system as much that Boylan supposedly likes. That he didn't really work on his shooting that much. Like so now he's going to do that this off season. Like I said, he mentioned the what did he what did you learn from this season that that I'm a dog and Darnell was like even like almost laughed at him and it's like you said that last season and he was like yeah so just like I feel like he's got I don't know if this. Too many excuses, like an overinflated. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of athletes uh, like think very highly of themselves, but it just it's just kind of annoying to read from a guy who has had his struggles, who didn't clearly really didn't improve at all this season. I know he did have injuries as well, another injury prone guy. But Matt, what what is your t- what was your take on this interview on Chris Dunn uh, just in general about his future with the team? Yeah, and I, and I saw that today, and we had something at Bloggable a couple weeks ago when he had a couple interviews. I think one was at Bulls.com. And with Sam Smith, and I think there might have been another where, I mean, he even had a couple of weeks in between to think about it and come up with something else. But he, he went back to that same well of just excuses about how his style of play was dictated by the coaching or the the framework of the team and that he wouldn't work on, you know, court basketball skills like putting the ball in the hoop. Like that seems like something that's universal. Like it wouldn't really matter in terms of a team context. Like maybe you want to be a better shooter. Uh, regardless of the team context. But yeah, I think he just has an overinflated ego about his standing in the league and his own skills, which part of that is just being an athlete and having, you know, believing in yourself. But I think with Chris Dunn, now that he's uh, 25 and he's been in the league a few years, like he needs to like adjust his perception of how he plays because he's not going to fit in the league, like being a lead guard. He, he, I think he does have some skills that can play at a high level. I think earlier in the season when they had uh, a game against the Warriors and it wasn't the game they got, maybe it wasn't the first game they got totally killed, but the second game they got sort of killed. But I think, I mean, it just showed like even watching the playoffs, like how, how far away the Bulls are in terms of talent. But I thought just on defense, at least Chris Dunn looked like he could sort of belong and that he, he's a very good athlete on defense. He can seem to read things well. He's, he's aggressive, maybe over aggressive and kind of spaces out at times, but he's, he actually like belonged on the court. I think Zach Levine was that way too, where Zach Levine, we can know can make difficult shots. And that's like a huge thing when it comes to like playoff level basketball. And I think Chris Dunn like has like similar skills, but that's not going to be a starting point guard skill. And I still think he think he thinks he believes he's a starting point guard. And ever since he's been in the league, it's been one excuse after the other. When he came into uh, the bulls, it was just a bunch of excuses about how mean Tom Thibodeau was and benching him and, you know, his family had to watch him on the bench in the stands. Like he was entitled to a starting role, even though Tibbs knew that he wasn't good enough to start. And, you know, Tyus Jones got minutes over him. And it, instead it became, you know, this was framed by like Samson as a way of like denigrating Thibodeau, of course, to say, well, you know, Tibbs doesn't trust, trust rookies. Well, you know, Tibbs doesn't trust rookies because they're not very good at first. And uh, Chris Dunn had a horrible rookie season. And instead of saying, you know, I need to get better, he's saying all these things about how, you know, he needs to just be more aggressive and actually it's the coach or actually it's the team. The idea that the team he's been on has had too much talent for him to thrive. I mean, you're on the crappiest Timberwolves, you're on the crappiest Bulls. If you can't thrive in this environment, you're not losing shots out to Larry Markin and you're losing playing time to Ryan Archer Diacono. Like that's your, that's your level right now. You need to kind of like reassess where you should be in this league. And I don't think until he does that, will he like actually like 
you know, cultivate his game to something that will fit with this group. Yeah, and, you know, Jason and I got an anonymous, we'll call it an anonymous tip from uh, a listener who sent us some preseason Chris Dunn quotes. I'll read a couple off. I worked on my shooting all summer, just like any area of my game. I'm not going to be scared to shoot, simple as that. Also, we have multiple playmakers, so I don't have to create all the plays for everyone. Now, just so we're all on the same page, and I think anyone listening to this podcast is, Chris Dunn is far from the real problem with the Chicago Bulls. If you had to make a list of the problems with the Bulls, he would not crack the top 50 probably. Uh, But it really does look like in the trade for Butler that, you know, the Bulls got two, you know, usable assets, at least, in marketing and Levine. I think we're not going to be talking about Chris Dunn too much longer with the Bulls. The, the organization seems pretty transparent in the fact that they expected him to be better, and he's not. Uh, and I think that, you know, whether it's a veteran coming in, whether it's a rookie like John Morant or Darius Garland at the top of the draft, his days with the organization just seems numbered to me at this point. Yeah, I mean, he had the ring endorsement from Paxson that where uh, I think Paxson said, well, he's under contract, so he'll have a chance. Like, that, that's very, like, Pax's way to say, like, well, I don't know if he'll be here much longer. I think – I also don't think he has much trade value, so he probably will be back, um, and he'll, he'll get another chance. And I think, yeah, I mean, even the stuff about about last offseason when we heard – now, this is a Cowley thing, so who knows if it was, like, legitimate about him now – working hard in the off season. And I think like we, what we really need is we need to have like some kind of gossip columnist outside of the advocate center, see who's in the building this summer. Cause I think like, this is like a huge deal to the bulls, like who's in the building. And I think they will actually like turn on guys. They don't think even if they're working out like by themselves, like if Zach Levine is out in, um, where is he in Washington where he, where his like compound is with his dad. Um, if he's out there working out, I actually think the bulls will be mad but that he's not like in the advocate center working out. So I think like part of that is the the case with Dunn is like, they not only was it the bad play, but they don't feel like he's committed enough to the, to the team. And like, in in like a bulls way, which means like being in the building and like, like drinking all the Kool-Aid about the bulls and Boylan and stuff. And the fact that he's actually even questioning Boylan, uh, changing strategies up with the different uh, offensive sets in the first like few weeks, I think like, I think the team is out on done. I kind of like, I unceremoniously kicked him out of the core when it came to like evaluating these bulls games. Cause you know, down the stretch of the season, especially you kind of only look at, okay, what's Levine doing? What's Markinen doing done. It's like, who cares at this point? I mean, he's not going to be around. He, he's already like aged out of like a prospect level. I still think he could last in the league 10 years, but he doesn't look to like have a lot of uh, room to grow in terms of being a starting point guard. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he sticks around just because, like Paxton says, he's under contract. He's relatively affordable. He can play like solid defense, and he he can make the easy pass when it comes to being a point guard. But I think also Ricky made a good point about him being like blamed, uh, like over over blamed for like what's gone wrong. Kind of like also with the injuries, just saying like, well, you know, if we had a a good point guard, that's kind of like the last hole in our lineup. And uh, Kelly Dwyer on his podcast mentioned this too, where it's like kind of just like the Bulls like to target guys as like he's the problem. And then once we get him out, things will be better. And this just goes down the line about guys. Um, it, it became Jabari Parker like three weeks after they signed him. It was like, well, once we get Jabari Parker out of here, things will look better. And now they kind of switched over to Chris Dunn where he was sought after in that Butler trade. You remember the year before they were going to do that. Butler. Yeah, they wanted to do that same trade, it seemed like. And then they took it a year later, even though Dunn had a horrible rookie year. Because you know they're master negotiators, these guys. But they they got him, and now he didn't turn out well. And now he's like the the cause of all their problems. And once they draft John Morant or sign uh, Darren Collison or something like that, that'll that'll be the big difference. I I still think he might be back next year, just because they don't have much like wiggle room. But you know they did get rid of Jerry and Grant very quickly and for nothing. So it, it's possible that they just kick Dunn out because they don't feel like he can be a backup. Like if they bring someone in, they don't want Chris Dunn like competing for the job because they don't think he can mentally handle it. God, I can't stop thinking about the fact that Jimmy Butler, when he made himself into such a great player, did it really far away from the building. He did that almost exclusively on the West Coast. Uh, And I think that that infuriated the Bulls. Here's Jimmy turns himself from basically a role player into, you know, at his peak at borderline top 10 NBA guy. 
Uh, he also had the audacity to ask the Bulls for more money, which I'm sure just drove them absolutely insane. He bet on himself. He won. He made the Bulls look like idiots. Oh, and he was training in California the entire time. I think the reason the Bulls are so centered on what happens in our building as they you know, kept repeating, kept parroting, uh, throughout this year and even the last couple seasons is just because everything analytically and everything that like the rest of the world can see objectively paints them as dumbasses. So the only way they can save face is by placing value in these things that no one else but them can see. Right. And they do that with Boylan too. They say, you know, Boylan, you guys don't see, we, we see what happens on the court, right? We see Boylan. First of all, his team is no good. They play a bad style. They play a boring style. He has these kind of like issues with other coaches where he's doing nonsense, like calling timeout, whether they're down 30 or whatever. And the other coach is like, what are you doing? He doesn't have good uh, end of game situational usage. That's all stuff we see and the outside voices can comment on. But they'll even say like, well, you don't see what he's like in our building when he's talking to these guys day after day, these exit meetings, which were the greatest exit meetings he's ever seen. I mean, you're right. It's all this stuff. They just do it as a way to kind of keep from criticism to say, well, you know, you you don't know what goes on here, so you can't really assess what's going on here. Only we can. And that's obviously not a good way to run anything, uh, let alone a basketball team. Yeah, totally, totally. totally. It's just like a deep, it's like a deep <laughs> side. It's like a deep side. Yeah, like, just, just thinking about it. Yeah, the, really, dude, the point about the, like, and to add to that too, just like the press conference stuff with Boylan, like I know a lot of like, I mean, they are, it can be kind of amusing if you just like, don't, I guess, don't care about the results, I guess. But like, just like all his goofy shit that he says too. And it's like, that's what we see is terrible pride on the court. Goofy, goofy stuff with coaches, other teams clowning the bulls, his goofy ass press conferences. And it's just like, and yeah. And they just basically will tell you, well, you just trust us. Just trust us. It'll be all right. Boylan's the best teacher ever. He runs the best. It, exit interviews ever it really is just i feel like paxton and boylan i said this before it's basically two peas in a pod with their meatball thing i think i tweeted after the extensions like boylan's almost like the perfect coach for john paxton and i feel like that's why they're just like they're just hitching their wagon to him because they're just like two of the same guy with their old school meatball mentalities and that's why i feel like it, you, we talked about him like paxton quitting earlier like yeah i hope if, if boylan flames out quickly and then and the bulls are bad next year and after he's talking about like Maybe them being actually good, like please just quit or get fired. He's not gonna get fired, but it's all probably wishful thinking. Yeah, I mean, it all goes to like how much does John Paxson actually care? I mean, we all we, we hear about it. We'll we'll get a we'll get a uh, article every year about how he gets so angry like watching the team, and he'll like toss a, a buffet, yeah, he'll toss a buffet table like uh, the post game spread or whatever. I mean, what's the over under on when that happens this year? I mean, I'm sure we're gonna read something like by December 10th, where like after the Bulls get creamed by 25 in Utah, they're going to be like, well, you know, John Paxson went down there and he said, this isn't going to stand. I mean, it's just like, it just goes on and on. And I think, yeah, it just speaks to how Paxson, like he cares, but like not enough to actually like try to hire people to help him. I mean, it's like, he only cares to a certain point because yes, he cares about winning, but he also cares about perception. He cares about getting credit. It infuriated them that, Tom Thibodeau was getting all this praise for for uh, the 2010 era Bulls with Rose when they thought, you know, we were the ones who built this team. Why is Thibodeau getting all this credit? I think that stuff really matters to them. And it's it's petty, but I mean, that's just how they operate. And while that would be okay for for some executives because they would put in the work and have a staff, and actually, it's not okay for the Bulls because they just don't have that kind of margin for error. They the reason they it's so like pointed out why they do well on top 10 draft picks, you know, they have to do that if, because they don't do anything else. And in fact, they're poor at a lot of other things to the point where like, you know, thank God they hit on Lowry market into like very little credit of their own. They didn't scout them. They didn't work them out. They just kind of like picked them as the consensus top guy at that, at that slot. I mean, that's like their saving grace. If they didn't do that, I mean, I, they might be out now if they didn't have the marketing pick. Here's a question. Uh, so say the Bulls do just like really suck ass again to start next season. Do you think there's any way like Paxson would bite the bullet here and actually fire Boylan one year into this new extension? Do you think they'd just give us some bullshit and tell us to ride it out? You know, that is, that is interesting because it's as much as I try to like run through scenarios of like how bad this next season can go. I mean, 
it's still tough to see them getting like in the 2025 win bad. I think even if they're bad, there'll still be like 30 ish wins, which means like during the season, they'll be, you know, five games out of the eight seed to where they'll be like, and you know, Levine will have some good games and I'm sure marketing will take a step up. And I think Porter will look decent. And it, you know, the problem is if it, if it goes bad, it'll probably be because there was another injury. And even if that injury was preventable, even if it was something that they could have addressed with depth, they'll still look at it as like some kind of happenstance that they just have bad luck. So I think even if it goes really bad, they'll have an excuse. And I really don't see Boylan being fired midseason again. I think they'll just ride out to the end of the year and they will potentially fire him at the end of the year. I think that's like best case. It's like they ride out Boylan. They will be bad, but not like catastrophically bad. They'll just be like, you know, 32 wins bad. And then they'll fire him at the end of the year. I feel like they're 32. If they, what are they, how many games did they win this year? Was it 20, 20, 22? So I guess if they take like a 10 win jump and like are kind of in the eight, like whatever race for the eight seed, like kind of, I feel like they'll probably see that as like a success and probably not fire him. I feel like, yeah, that's a, that's a sad thought that they would consider that like a success. Like I'm giving them kind of like, sort of like credit for last season, like for 22, not being their actual baseline because they were tanking despite the fact that he would never admit that. I mean, he were throwing away games at the end and they'd have Otto Porter for a full season. So theoretically, so they were, they won 22 games. Yes, you are what your record is, but let's say they were more like a 28 win team or something. So then they get up to 32. That's still probably 10 games out of the playoffs. So that's still like not good at all. I think to get to what they're talking about in terms of this nebulous, like be in the hunt for the playoffs, they have to get to like 38, 40 wins. And if they don't get to that, then that should be seen as a failure. Whether they'll interpret that as a failure, it's tough to say because like they, they didn't even interpret this past year as a failure, which is just like mind boggling. The whole press conference after the season was like some alternate reality where, you know, Paxton was smiling and things were good. And, you know, Jim Boyan had these great exit meetings and it was a total disaster of a season. And the, the idea that they wouldn't even look at that and say, you know, we made mistakes. Uh, we're going to, change things up we're gonna do or at least you know do better they didn't even admit that this season went poorly they said the Jafari Parker signing was actually good because they were able to turn that into auto court I mean the the level these guys spin to kind of justify their own ineptitude it's just it seems bottomless I don't know what could possibly happen but to me even a 32 win team next year is like pretty pretty bad and I think they should definitely see that as a reason to fire Boylan next year if it happens the Pistons were the eight seed in the East this year. They won 41 games. The Orlando Magic, who the Bulls, they prey upon their lucky stars. They can one day be the Orlando Magic. They went 42 and 40 this year to get the seven seed. So uh, I, I actually like the fact that the Bulls seem to be putting at least a little bit of pressure on themselves to make the jump up the standings next year because I wrote about it uh, in my in my season opener column this past season the fact that Paxson wouldn't put public expectations on what he expected out of this team, I felt just set him up for for failure and for someone else to take the fall from the very beginning. I think that as soon as things went bad, Paxson already had it in his mind that he was going to fire Hoiberg before he ever actually got a chance with Markkinen in the lineup with most of his team healthy. Now it seems like Chris Dunn is the guy who is taking all the blame. Well, yeah, Chris Dunn obviously has some holes uh in his skill set as a player but uh i mean all of these problems start upstairs and it's been the same bullshit for 20 fucking years at this point yeah and i think part of it is they're going to have to address depth on this team they can't just go into a season like last year and they say we're comfortable at the point guard position with chris dunn and campaign you know chris dunn gets hurt and then it's like well all of a sudden we're not comfortable that totally ruined our season and so they go into this year saying like having it so like little can go wrong to where if it does go wrong, then that's their excuse for the whole year. And they're able to write off the entire season because a few guys got hurt. I mean, it's just, it's, and I don't know if they can do that again. They, they're going to probably try. We'll see what they do in terms of like filling some pieces around. They do have $20 million in cap space. I mean, a, a solid team would use that to like acquire some guys on existing contracts and maybe get some assets. And I think part of the, like their plan to get veteran players. Like that's a, that's a solid plan, but they need to actually like target guys through trade to kind of like force them to play for the bulls <laughs> instead of 
having to overpay them in free agency, I don't think they're going to have uh, the money or, you know, the, the team uh, stabilization to bring in Patrick Beverly. Why would Patrick Beverly come? You know, so why, I mean, so they have to kind of like get creative and aggressive and those are not things they're good at. So I think it's going to be a real struggle to see how this team is built to where they can withstand a couple injuries and not totally go in the toilet because a couple of guys get hurt. Yeah, t- totally, agree, totally agree with that as well. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a really interesting, interesting season, I guess. Like, I, I tried to talk myself into getting excited about this season, and then of course, uh, it turned into be turned into complete bullshit. Now, I'll probably talk myself into it again next season, even if they don't get Zion, and I guess hopefully if they do make some decent moves, I'm, I'm sure. Like they, you talk about, you mentioned Patrick Beverly. I feel like he's a really popular option. I, I feel like I would love Patrick Beverly. You also say like, why would Patrick Beverly come to the Bulls? Like besides like the Chicago connection. That's a great question, but I, I feel like he's definitely the type of guy the Bulls will look at, considering all the toughness stuff that they've talked about. They'll look for tough veteran, like KG guys, and all that kind of stuff. So I guess yeah. right, but even even something with with Beverly is he's also injury prone, and like a guy like Ricky Rubio is injury prone, and I think part of also the impending disaster of this Boylan hire is like how is Boylan's whole philosophy about road dog you know, back-to-back practices, how is that going to impact this team's health? Because we saw when he played Chandler Hutchison, all those minutes on a broken toe, he's out for the season. He gets praised afterwards for, you know, toughing through it. Now, I don't think like Boylan, like like Thibodeau before him, is like directly responsible for a lot of these injuries, but I do think it creates an environment where guys are going to try to play hurt and further injure themselves, or they'll be overworked, whether that's minutes and games or even you know practices during the season to where a Boylan-led team is more susceptible to injury. And then we'll have to see if if the Bulls say, if they still think this is just like a coincidence that they're all these guys are getting hurt. You know, John Paxson was like well asked. I think this was a good job by the reporting crew. You know, what are you doing to address these injuries? You know, do you just think it's random that this happens to you guys or are you going to address the training stamp? And he actually said, you know, we think our training staff is good and our methods are good. We need our guys to adhere to it better. They're not doing the work, which goes back to what we talked about being in the building and all that. And even someone like Lowry Markkinen, who who plays international ball over the summer, I think the Bulls don't like that. I think they they uh, sort of slammed Nico when he was uh, playing internationally. And they said, well, you know, he wasn't in our building all summer. He kind of struggles to start seasons and he gets better as it goes along. We found that playing international ball hurts that kind of went away when marketing uh, was here because he looked so good internationally. It was good for his hype. But I think that deep down, they, they wonder about that and they should wonder about how Boylan, how camp Boylan's going to go this summer in terms of like getting guys potentially hurt. I think it's a real concern, especially because the bulls you know, are putting so much on a few guys where if they, if they do get hurt, the whole season goes down the drain. All right, Matt, this was great. Thank you for joining us, for finally stepping out from behind the curtain, the mystery man that has been the voice of Bulls fans disgust for 17 seasons at this point. It's pretty incredible. So thank, thank you for joining us, Matt. We appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Yeah, go to bloggable.com. I think that this, these podcast things do nothing for me. Go to the website, read the posts. There's lots of good content, even in – Bad seasons. With the off season coming up, hopefully if they, with the draft, the lottery, uh, off season. Hope that's always an exciting time. And uh, even if the the Bulls have been terrible, I think this is more exciting than the actual games themselves at this point. So uh, hopefully an interest, in, interesting and exciting summer coming up. So yeah, go to bloggable.com. Uh, follow Matt on Twitter at Bulls Blogger. Good stuff. Thanks again, man. Thank you guys. Yep. Uh, Ricky, yeah, good stuff. Uh, let's wrap it up here. Uh, as always, uh, follow, uh, shout out to Blue Wire Network. You could follow at Blue Wire Pods. Ricky, I think you're going to be talking some playoff basketball later for Blue Wire Buckets. That's our, uh, our playoff pods where we recap all the games going on. So that'll be a lot of fun. Look for Ricky on that as well. I'll be doing one of those again this week as well. Uh, look, check out all the other pods across the Blue Wire Network. We've got a ton of, got a ton of great, Great NBA pods, football pods, a lot of stuff like that. Also, please do go on like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all those places. Please rate and review review this podcast. We really, really appreciate the, all that. So uh, thanks again to Matt for coming on. Ricky, it's great talking to you again. We will uh, next week be responding to the lottery. So I guess 
cross your fingers for getting that 12.5%. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.